Welcome to episode two of the Dirt Reporters podcast, where the members of DirtOnDirt.com's editorial staff take you beyond the headlines that you see on our website and dive deeper into the news, results, and notable topics of dirt late model racing. This is a new weekly feature here at Dirt on Dirt that will appear on the website each Wednesday. And if you subscribe to the DirtOnDirt.com podcast feed in your favorite podcast app, it should appear there as well. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, being joined today by the rest of the DOD editorial staff, including our managing editor, Todd Turner. Todd, how are you today? I'm doing great. We also have uh, the DOD weekend editor, Robert Holman. Robert, how are you? Uh, doing good, doing good. Ready to get going here. And we have our senior writer, Kevin Kovac, who is coming off a weekend trip to the Lucas Oil races at Hagerstown and Port Royal. Kevin, you doing all right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, what, nice, uh, nice short nights. They weren't real long ones, so we're good. There you go. We have a lot to cover today uh, after finally getting in nearly a full slate of racing over the weekend. And, of course, we had some big news coming out last week from Eldora Speedway. Uh, we'll get into that later, but first let's start with the Lucas Oil doubleheader where Tim McCready and Jonathan Davenport both got their first series victories of the season. McCready, of course, winning at Hagerstown on Saturday with a last lap pass of Ricky Thornton Jr. and Davenport holding off Shane Clanton to win Sunday's race at Port Royal. I would say that both of these drivers have had interesting paths to their first Lucas Oil victories of the year. McCready, who, oh, by the way, took over the Lucas Oil points lead over the weekend, only had one other victory so far on the year, a dirt car win at Volusia way back in February. Uh, and meanwhile, Davenport has been on a tear on, in non-series actions with seven overall wins before Sunday, including two earlier in the weekend. But even with his solid weekend, he's still way back in seventh, I believe, in Lucas Oil standings, 145 points out of the lead. So with all that considered, who between the two of them, McCready and Davenport, do you guys think needed that win more this weekend, their first Lucas Oil win? Todd, I'll start with you. Might be kind of equal. I mean, I, I see them both. Uh, you know, Davenport, uh, I'll start with him, not winning a national touring race or not winning on the Lucas Oil Series. You know, clearly everybody, we, we think he's good. He's ranked number one and all that. Uh, but to get over that hump, I guess still, you know, to me, his Florida performance is still kind of hanging over him. Uh, so he kind of put that to bed. Uh, and McCready, you know, clearly wants to be uh, a title uh, contender. That win's going to help him uh, propel him. So, so I think both of them definitely needed it. It's uh, Wins have been tough to come by. Not, not many repeat winners so far with Oil, so uh, uh, both those guys really needed it. Robert, you talked a lot about the parity on the national tour. I, I know I saw you mentioned in, in Fast Talk this week. Did either of these guys kind of rise above, you feel like, this weekend with their performances? I just think that uh, I think McCready really asserted himself as a, a championship contender. And I, I really feel like, as far as your first question goes, that McCready probably needed to win more. Um, I've forgotten about Florida already, primarily because I I guess I didn't go, so that's why I've forgotten about it. But, you know, I just feel like McCready needed to win more uh, if he's going to battle for this uh, Lucas Oil Championship and and that uh, I think that he really asserted himself as a as a title contender with the, with the victory. You know, he's been very consistent, and I just think it's just a matter of time before he got the win. I, I feel offended, uh, Robert. I don't know how you can forget about my home state so easily. But uh, I'll forgive you for that. But anyway, Kevin, what do you think? You were there this weekend. Who do you think was the the bigger winner between the two? Uh, it's they all. Everybody always needs to win. You know, there's there's no uh, no doubt about that. I mean, if they're if you're not winning, then uh, especially those guys on that high level, then something 
they're, they're, it's going to be in their mind a little bit. We need a victory. So that they got it out of the way. But I think it's pretty interesting the way they, they both came at it a different way. Like even I, McCready wins on Saturday and it was his first time he raced in a couple of weeks. Uh, he didn't even, he hadn't raced since Cherokee world of outlaws deal that got rained out on the, the main event on Saturday, he just ran the preliminaries Friday. And and he had said he, he wants to be kind of the less is more. He sees there's so many races going on. They're going to be running, you're going to be on the road a lot this summer with all these all these shows that are scheduled. That He wants to win that championship with Lucas Oil to go with his World of Outlaws championship uh, back in 2006, 15 years ago already. So, so he's focusing more on that series. And he mentioned how Jonathan Davenport struggled last year. So he has to kind of race himself out of his slump from last year, which he's done. Uh, he, he's run just about every week this year, uh, other than I think one week he didn't race since uh, Speed Weeks or uh, beginning of March. He, he had to get back in the groove, and he's finally he's found it. McCready, he's got his stuff nice and uh, nice and kind of refreshed and, and and focused on on a points chase. And so I think they're both uh, they're both kind of converging here. We'll see if Davenport can come back. But da- McCready certainly had to, you know, take advantage of, of Davenport not making that, not going to that race at, at Brownstown last month, uh, getting behind in the points. So now McCready ha- has a little little edge there now on uh, on Davenport. You, you bring up an interesting point there, Kevin. And, and I'll say real quick before uh, moving on, I'll answer my own question. But I think it was McCready that needed to win more because when you've won as much as Davenport has this season, over, I think, 130,000 in first place winnings alone at tends to cover up the uh, – I mean, I think there are some people who probably didn't even realize he hadn't won a Lucas Oil race <laughs> this year because of so many races he's won. So I think McCready needed it more, but I think they both did need them um, and need strong performances on the Lucas Oil Tour uh, because getting back to the next point, uh, let's talk a second about the uh, the Lucas Oil points chase. Uh, McCready, of course, uh, jumped into the lead. Uh, Hudson O'Neill was leading before the weekend. Uh, McCready comes out on top, and I believe Davenport uh, shook out seventh. I think is where he's uh, at now. So he's moved up. Um, and then if you're looking at other people we thought would contend, Owens is still way back. Jimmy Owens is still way back in 12th. Uh, how do you guys see the points chase shaking up going forward? I think, uh, Kevin, you, you kind of hit on it, talking about it being McCready and Davenport really both focused on it. Um, Todd, what do you think about the uh, the two? Are they the two favorites? I, I mean, I don't know. I picked McCready at the beginning of the year, and I feel pretty good about that. Who I really like and uh, who who looks to be – Somebody who maybe is going to be a little stronger than I thought is Thornton. I mean, Thornton's really solid up there. Um, Owens, I mean, looking at Owens in 12th, you know, you get that after Florida sometimes and whatever, but this year is an odd one where, you, you know, to have Owens, the defending series champion, way back there in 12th, I mean, it's a mix of so many non-conflicting national touring races. You know, we have a lot more competitive fields at some of these. Uh, and obviously, he hasn't run all that well, but uh, the 12th in points seems daunting. I mean, he'll he'll get up there, uh, but uh, but to get in the mix uh, for the title chase, uh, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, you mentioned Owens. I, I want to mention that I think in one of the video casts with Michael Rigsby earlier this year, we did a buy, sell, and hold uh, thing or whatever, and I, I said I was selling Jimmy Owens, and he kind of laughed at me, him and, and Derek. Uh, both laughed at me and thought I was crazy for that. And I mean, he could come back and have a great year, but he's definitely not having the season that he had uh, a year ago. What do you think, Robert? Do you have a take on the, the Lucas Oil points battle right now? Well, you know, like Todd, I, I picked uh, Tim McCready to win the deal whenever we made our predictions back to start the season off with. And, and I think that you have to let these 
uh, Florida races. And like you said, the overlapping races filter themselves out because you look at the, the points and you've got, you got Brandon Shepard still in third in the Lucas oil deal right now. So with, with Sheffy still in third, you know, let's just go ahead and take him out of the picture. Uh, you know, Davenport, that'd move up Davenport up to sixth right there, move Owens to 11th. I don't think Owens is going to get much higher than probably eighth, uh, you know, which he might surprise me completely. He could, he could work his way in the top five with a hot streak. He's definitely capable, but I think this is, uh, Tim McCready's year to win the deal. And I think it's kind of his, his to lose necessarily, uh, because he's taken the lead. He only has one, the one win. He's been relatively consistent. I just feel like that it's going to be tough to get McCready out of that top spot now. Obviously, Hudson O'Neill, Devin Moran, young guys, uh, Kyle Bronson, Josh Richards, they're all right there. But I just don't – I just look and I'm like, who week in, week out is going to challenge the consistency of Tim McCready plus being also capable of putting up wins regularly, and I just don't see anybody doing it. I actually looked back. We we discussed this uh, in our first uh, post speed weeks fast talk. We made predictions, and we all, besides me, I picked Brandon Overton to stay on the tour and and win the title. Of course, he you know proved me wrong pretty quickly by not uh, going to Brownstown. But uh, you guys all picked McCready, and it sounds like we're mostly sticking with that. It sounds like so. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that going forward. We talked about the two big winners of the weekend being McCready and Davenport. I have another question for you guys, which is who was the weekend's biggest loser? If you had to pick the biggest loser of the weekend, Kevin, who would you go with? Uh, I'll go with uh, this is going to go regional wise here, Uh, a national touring driver, but regional wise. How about Ryan Gustin? Uh, Kind of a rough cuff stretch. It wasn't weekend. The first part of this is Wednesday when he was racing the MLRA uh, race out at, uh, at Stewart, Iowa. He wins. I mean, that, and I'm, I see him win the race there, and it's like, hey, running that World of Outlaws deal has really stepped up his game. So that's what you're supposed to do when you when you go down to a regional level to, to run. He pulls off a win off of a good weekend at Bristol, too, and then he's disqualified because he had a curved four-bar uh, uh, rod in his car they, they found afterwards. Um, man, that's a little technical for me, so I'm not exactly uh, sure what the whole situation there is. I mean, what they're looking for there, but uh, it was definitely curved. They show he had a picture of, there's a picture of him with it stuffed in the ground right in front of his car uh, the next night. But that wasn't even the whole of it. I mean, on Friday night, he goes, he's running well again at Davenport. I mean, uh, excuse me, at, at a 34 raceway. Ends up tangling with uh, Bobby uh, Bobby Pierce and, and, and flips it, uh, running near the front of the field. So uh, he wasn't very happy with Bobby Pierce either, and it looked like the crowd wasn't. So uh, rough, definitely a rough stretch for Ryan Gustin. Comes off the World Outlaws Tour to try to get going uh, regionally closer to home and, and has a disqualification and a flip. So uh, hopefully he recovers from that. Yeah, that that's a, definitely was a rough week. I'm sure he was looking at that stretch of MRA racing as a chance to kind of build some momentum before picking back up uh, with the World of Outlaws. Uh, Todd, what about you? You got a pick for biggest loser of the weekend? I would say Thornton. I mean, Thornton, to, to lose on the last lap after you after you lead the whole way, um, you know, he, he put a good face on it, at least uh, at least for the Victory Lane interview. But that's kind of that's kind of hurt. You know, you don't you want to finish those off when you get so close. and and I think he kind of felt like maybe on that last uh, last stretch there, he was couldn't get past uh, the slower car, Moran, and that kind of you know kind of threw off his momentum a little bit, and and that cost him. So I would say uh, I would say it's going to be Thornton. And on the other hand, uh, 
very impressive. You know, his first uh, first time at Hagerstown to run so well like that. So so he'll get another chance, and he won't. Um, maybe he won't let anybody slip by him on the last lap next time. Yeah, I'm sure he he learned uh, from that mistake, if you will, or the way he approached that final lap. I think he even talked about that in the the post race interview. How much he learned from that. Robert, what about you? you got a biggest loser? Well, if it, is it possible to to have my biggest loser be also the weekend's uh, loser by the narrowest of margins? Uh, Corey Hedgecock in that steel block race at uh, at Smoky Mountain. That was an an incredible finish. He finished six one thousandth of a second behind Mac McCarter. And it was a great win by McCarter, by the way. But uh Hedgecock six one thousandths and if you look at it and it looked like uh that Hedgecock's nose might have been just ahead of McCarter's at the finish. But as we all know, it's not about where that nose piece is anymore. It's about where that uh, transponder's mounted. And like I told someone earlier this week, it's not about uh the front, it's about who's rear axle gets across the finish line first and uh well, the closest race i've actually ever ever seen i know at, at hedgecock was disappointed but it was a it was a dandy and, and you got a feel for him for making a charge like that and uh coming up just short but uh congratulations to mccarter just the same because it was a heck of a win for him five thousand dollars probably in career career high for him so he was the yeah that was loser not the biggest right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the smallest loser. <laughs> it was Robert's biggest loser. <laughs> that was definitely a heck of a race there, a heck of a finish. Uh, that was easy to kind of go under the radar on, with a weekend that had so much going on. I'm going to pick two biggest losers of the weekend, uh, and I'm going to go with Hudson O'Neill and Devin Moran. It, it just felt like both of those guys had momentum. Uh, Hudson O'Neill from when he picked up the Lucas Old Points lead. I know that was back in March, but you felt like he needed to kind of build on that and have a good weekend. Of course, O'Neill was 10th and 15th on the weekend. And then Moran coming out of uh, Bristol with a big win and kind of not sure about his his full season plans. But you're thinking, well, maybe he can contend for the Lewis Hole title and then finishes of 16th and 12th. And this is all, of course, on the backdrop where McCready and Davenport both kind of established themselves with wins. So I would say those guys both will probably be looking to pick up some momentum and bounce back. All right, so sticking with the national tour conversation, uh, both national tours are finally getting back into full swing, starting this weekend with doubleheaders on both series. The Lucas Oil Series heads for uh, Tri-City Speedway and Macon Speedway in Illinois, while the Outlaws make their first trip to Kentucky's Richmond Raceway and return to Brush Creek Motorsports Complex in Ohio for the first time since 2006. This will be the two tours' first conflicting dates of the season, meaning meaning there are some drivers who will have to make decisions as to which tour to follow. Kevin, should we expect any surprises when we see who goes where this coming weekend? Uh, I don't think so, other than uh, maybe it's not a a, a series choice, maybe, but Jonathan Davenport, he's not 100% positive uh, exactly what he's doing yet. I mean, does he want to make that run at coming back in the Lucas Oil points? Which, by the way, he he's going to lose a few points too back when that when that Brownstown race ends up completely finishing. So, uh, where he's at in the points right now is it looks looks like hey he's not that far back, but he will lose a few because he wouldn't be in that feature uh, when everybody else adds some points. And the other two guys would be uh, Kyle Bronson, who's top five in in both series right now, and, and Shane Clanton, who's uh, ninth in the in the Lucas Oil points and he's 14th in the Outlaw points and. I, I don't see Kyle Bronson leaving uh, the Lucas Oil Series. I mean, this is the best he's probably been at this point in a Lucas Oil uh, schedule in the last few years. So uh, he's 
pretty positioned pretty well. It's Clanton who missed those first two outlaw races back in January at Volusia uh, because, uh, you know, he was after recovering from COVID. Uh, he's already behind there. He's way behind even 10th place, which which for points money uh, to, to be in there. So uh, I think he's preferring to keep running with the Lucas Oil Series. But again, that all depends on what his teammate Tyler Brunig does. And he's top five in the outlaw points. Clanton's actually in Iowa. He said he was flying out to Iowa to to meet with Tyler and Tyler's father, Greg, the car owner, uh, to decide what they're going to do. So I think that Shane Clanton's the one to, to really keep an eye on and see what happens. And of course, Clanton, I think I looked, it was his first podium finish since he won at uh, at Speed Weeks uh, there on, on Sunday at Port Royal. So he's coming off a strong run. So at least he's, whichever way he goes, he's, you know, probably feeling good about his, uh, his uh, momentum he's built from this past weekend. Of course, the biggest race of the of the weekend, as far as payout goes, is the Castrol Flow Racing Night in America series event. That's actually not on the weekend. It's Thursday. The race was supposed to be Wednesday, but with a poor forecast uh, for Wednesday, pushed back one day to Thursday. 22000 to win. One night show, of course, streamed live on Flow Racing. Uh, let's spend a few minutes talking about that. Let's each kind of come up with one thing uh, for those tuning in on Thursday can look for uh, throughout the night. I'll start with the wall going into turn three. It's actually on the back straightaway. And I know they've already raced there once at Atomic Speedway. I don't know if I mentioned the races at Atomic Speedway, but I know they've raced there once already this year, the Lucas Oil Series. And so the drivers have had a chance to kind of adjust to that. And I didn't really pay attention to it, uh, how, how significant it was, but I think it was something like 240 feet. They moved the wall from essentially the center of turn three all the way down the back straightaway. And looking at it on video, it, at least to me, appears to be fairly close. And I talked to Steve Casebolt for a story I did earlier this week about that. Or it's one of the things he brought up is how uh, difficult it is made getting into turn three there. And Casebolt, of course, is a guy who's won a lot of races recently at Atomic. And he struggled uh, at the Lucas Oil race there earlier this year. And he said that was one of the main reasons. I didn't really pay attention to that to the first race there, the Lucas Oil race. But I'll certainly be watching that, seeing how guys are uh, kind of adjusting to that, especially those who weren't there uh, for the Lucas Oil race. Uh, and see if it comes into into play throughout the night. What about you, Robert? Anything you uh, suggest us keeping our eye on for that race there on Thursday night? Well, I uh, I spoke with Mike Knuckles at Warrior Race Cars, and uh, Ryan King's coming up there to run that race, and, and that just got me thinking about uh, how some guys that plan to run this whole deal, you know, we don't really know who is and who isn't going to try to attempt to run the whole thing yet. And I, so I think that's something to kind of look at to see, who is there at the first one? Who's going to be at this one? And then we can start kind of penciling in some guys. You know, on the flip side of that, you only have to have seven out of 10 races, I think, to to be eligible for the points deal. So that kind of throws another monkey wrench in it. So, you know, should we even be looking at that? I don't know. So I definitely think it, it is a, um, a situation where we can look here and say, okay, these guys are at the first one. Okay, these guys are at this one. And uh, now we kind of hopefully can get an idea of who might want to to run every one of them. I know that Ryan King in the Warrior House car is going to be one of those guys. So I'm interested to see basically just who will be there and who's going to stick it out. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting following along to the the points uh, chase there on the, the flow racing deal. Uh, because you could, you know, a guy that skipped the first race could still be a contender in the points. Uh, the way that works with only counting the best uh, seven or uh, eight, whatever it is, races. Uh, what about you, Kevin? Anything you suggest we watch Thursday night? I think the the field will be a, a little stepped up even from the first race at uh at Tyler County last. Kind of was expecting a little bit more. I thought it would at least be in the 30s. Uh, so 29 was a I mean I wouldn't say disappointing, but not exactly what you expected for the first one. 
Uh, I think it's going to be more this time. I know there's more guys going. I already know Jonathan Davenport's going to be there. And, and the, with $22,000 to win, you figure he's probably the, the favorite because he's he seems like he's collecting a lot of big money races already this year. But uh, the number two and three guys in the top 25 are both going to be there too. We just I just saw popped up on our Slack as we we're talking here that we have confirmation that uh, Brandon Overton is going to run the race. And I know Tim McCready, one of his buddies uh, from uh, back home in New York, he rode down to Port Royal and Hagerstown with him, but he stayed on the road with the hauler because they're going to go to top on Thursday. And so that's another uh, top-notch guy in, in the in the, in the the field from Lucas Oil Series in the field at, at Tomic. So uh, I think the competition level, that's it's going to even be raised on Thursday night. Yeah, definitely shaping up to be a solid field. And it should be. It's a, a big race, a 22,000 to win, single day show. Todd, you're the uh, resident historian here at Dirt on Dirt. What other weekday races uh, paying that amount of money? Can Are there any others you can think of, thinking back to all the races, uh, as long as you've been covering the sport? It's a rarity for sure, although in, anything like this way when we have uh, the dream on Thursday night here, here in a couple months. But uh, yeah, those uh, those midweek shows generally, you know, a ten thousand is a big big on a midweek show. Uh, so that twenty two is gonna, um, as Kevin said, draw a better field and uh, really should be a good mix of uh, some national touring guys and all those best regional guys. And anything else we should watch for that we haven't hit on already for this race? No, I don't think so. I'm like you, interested in that wall. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. Maybe keep a better eye on. That. I think you also mentioned too, like about when the twenty thousand dollar to win midweek races, and I don't know. I think I'll probably last time I can remember some of those things happening was I remember back in like two thousand four and five when the World of Outlaws uh, late model series came back when the Boundless Motorsports was uh, you know the forerunner of uh, of World Racing Group took over. They had some major money races uh, like that. I remember I think even like up in Rolling Wheels in New York, off kind of the beaten path of late model racing had some uh, higher fifteen and, and $20,000 to win races. Uh, obviously, they, they haven't lasted. They haven't been a thing that continued on all the time during the week. But it's, it, it's, So it's been a while that you, that you see that kind of money on the line for a win in the midweek. It seems like I could be wrong with this, but it seems like I remember the, the scorcher at Volunteer Speedway was uh, paired with Bristol Weekends that it would pay like 15 or something when it first started on a midweek race uh, paired with the NASCAR Weekends at Bristol. I could be wrong on that, but it seems like I remember that way back when. Uh, and of course, Todd, you kind of kind of mentioned it. This the Eldora with the the news coming out of there kind of uh, blow that out of the water with some some midweek uh, high paying races. Of course, those aren't single uh, day races. We will talk a little bit about that. It's interesting because you know when we we came up with the idea for this podcast, uh, we landed on Tuesday afternoons as our weekly recording time and day with the podcast publishing on Wednesday mornings. I think at one point, Todd and I did discuss, well, what happens if major news breaks on Tuesday night? And we both kind of thought, eh, if it, it won't happen. And if it does, it's not that big a deal. Of course, that exact scenario played out in our very first week with Eldora dropping one of the biggest news announcements of the season last Tuesday, not long after we had recorded our first podcast. So even though this news is essentially a week old now, I do think it's something that's worth discussing. And I'm going to assume that most of our listeners at this point are aware that Eldora will be double dipping for its two crown jewel events this season, hosting back-to-back Dirt Late Model Dreams in June and back-to-back World 100s in September. Prelim nights will be shortened to one night instead of two, so it's only, I believe, one extra day at Big E each week. 
but still, that's a lot of racing, uh, a lot to get in uh, there at Eldora, making up, of course, for last year's uh, postponements of the, the dream in the world due to COVID-19. So let's get some reactions to that announcement. Todd, uh, what do you think of the double, double dip at Eldora? Well, I think it's, I mean, fans and the pent-up demand to get back to Eldora. You know, those races they held last year, kind of the placeholder events, uh, they were cool and such, but hardly anybody got to see them in person. Uh, so the fans, uh, that Eldora is making this up, so the fans who held those tickets can come. And, and these four-day stretches should be, you know, all the all the Eldora faithful will be there. Uh, now, on the other hand, and we've talked about, and I'm sure some of the other, some of you all may comment about, uh, that is a tough stretch on equipment, uh, man and machine, as far as the competitors go. You know, it already is with a three, the normal three-day formats uh, of those shows. Uh, so this is going to be uh, a lot, and it's going to be interesting to see how people approach it because you know there's huge money on the line uh, at the Dream Thursday and Saturday, and then again at the World. Will some people, you know, maybe maybe take it easy one night or the other or something to to make sure they've got enough to to get to the the night they really want to win? I mean, I, uh, that is that is a rigorous uh, stretch of racing, particularly for teams that don't have backup cars, backup engines. Or a lot of a uh, lot of help in the pits. Yeah, I agree. I think I, looking at that uh, from the mid-level slash regional racers, that you know, of course, the the big names, national touring drivers are are you know probably excited about a lot of money on the line. But when you're you're needing those regional mid-level guys to kind of I don't say fill the field, but you know, also be there to have a good number of car count, that's tough on them. Uh, Robert, you kind of, I know in Fast Talk, you offered a little perspective on that. What do you think about uh, the extra racing there at Eldora? You know, I think it's great, like Todd said, for the fans and all, but by the time we're done, we're like begging to come home from there. And I can't imagine that a lot of the drivers aren't feeling, and crew members especially, aren't feeling the same. Uh, it is uh, grueling. It's a big, fast, half-mile racetrack. So, uh, you see more than anything nowadays at Eldora, you see motor problems probably so much than, than crashes, I think. Crashes still happen, but guys are so good and the cars have so much traction now that crashes, I don't think, happen as much as they used to. But motor problems are still an issue. And, and competing like that over, you know, four days in a row can be brutal. So, you know, again, I wouldn't have voted for it necessarily. By the way, they didn't call me to ask me so anyway but <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have voted for it I, yeah I, roger didn't give me a call i've got to send him my number so anyway i i guess you know it's great for the fans let's get be perfectly honest you know it's great for the fans but i just feel like that i, I would have been happy if they had just tagged those two races last year as the dream and uh, uh world 100 and gone on about our business but it's gonna be exciting kevin what do you think uh, man, if, if I'm a fan um, th and, and I didn't get to go to Eldora last year, I'd be like, man, this is awesome. I mean, look at these. You get to go there and you drink some more beer and for four days and, and see a bunch of all this racing. But uh, there's the other side of the coin, too, with you have uh, competitors that got to do this. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. I mean, uh, there's Midwestern guys, Brian Shirley's, the the Pierce's, the guys like, like that – plan probably to go run the jason feggers that want to go run eldora 
but they also want to run the summer nationals, which is going to be right after that. And God, they'll, they, they, they could be worn out before they even get to the summer nationals. Three, like Robert mentioned, three days at Eldora is, is one heck of a, a grueling situation. If, if it's hot too, it makes it even worse, you know, um, it's even more grueling. Uh, I know just from our vantage point of, a of, a of writers covering with the media as the media it's, it's a different situation now because man we're, we're worn out because we want to get there's so many stories that happen at Eldora and just you know Scott Blumquist himself almost stuff that he he pulls off there all the time he's always, always something new but there's so many stories and it's hard to it's going to be hard to recover them all now I mean there's only so many hours in a day and those I've always liked where like that last race that the big race is on Saturday and and then there's nothing the next day. I mean, at least we get to cover that more, put more into more details about like little things that might have happened. And and now there's going to be a race on Thursday night, the big race, the dream, the world 100. That race, it'll be old news by several hours later when the next night starts. So. I almost feel like that winner on Thursday is going to get a little, sh Hey, he's going to get all his money. There's going to be no doubt. He's getting a lot of money, but it gets a little short shift there be, uh, because he doesn't uh, get to, 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 to bask in the glory of it because the next race starts already. That's, that's my mind about it. That's what's kind of a weird thing. I think that's, uh, it's going to factor in this year. Definitely going to be kind of weird how it'll overshadow the Saturday program, overshadow the Thursday night winner. But I just, it's wild to me how far we've come. When I, my first year going to Eldora, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, it was strange to me how little racing there was. It was Thursday night, you basically just get there. And Friday night was just making qualifying laps. And then fr finally, you have most of the program on Saturday. And now we're doing four basically full nights of racing there at Eldora, both, both trips. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. All right. So let's wrap up by each uh, going around and mentioning one winner from the weekend that we haven't mentioned already. I'll actually start, I'm going to start with uh, Jason Papich, the Californian who overtook Bobby Pierce late in Saturday's Slocum 50 at 34 Raceway uh, to get his first Lucas Oil MLRA victory of his career earning $10,555. And speaking of way back when, I remember, I believe it was some of the summer nationals, got to be seven, eight, nine years ago that Papish ran and, you know, hearing about him coming over from California and you kind of thought, well, that's interesting. There's no way he's going to do that very long. And here he is, like I said, I don't know how many years it's been, but all this time later, he's uh, stuck with it and gotten better and better. And now he's a, a contender on the ML, MLRA tour, still flying over from California to make the races, housing his car in Missouri. So it's good to see him get that breakthrough win. Uh, he was good. He was uh, ran down and passed Bobby Pierce and then pulled away from Tony Jackson Jr. late in the race. So congrats to him. Big win. And I'm sure he's going to have more in the future. Kevin, what do you got? Hey, kind of me, just because he didn't run a national tour race this week. Uh, maybe it's a little under the radar. Was How about Brandon Overton? Just goes, uh, you know, Easy peasy here, it looks like it was. Uh, you know, two wins. Uh, one's one, uh, spring nationals. He won at uh, I-75 on Friday night. And then on Saturday night, he goes over to you know, basically his, uh, his one of his home tracks, Modoc, uh, Ultimate Southeast. That's another $10,000 plus, two days for Brandon Overton. Kind of points out how strong he is, how good, and how much money he could make in his backyard. I mean, he, he could have went up to Hagerstown and, in Port Royal and ran there with those Lucas races. But what were the odds of him making $10,000? And so he, he could have won, obviously won, but it would have been a lot longer ride. Here he is right in his backyard. 
and, and I see that he also got to have a giant 30th birthday party. He, he's staying home, and then they threw him this giant. I guess it was Sunday. It looks like I got kind of got check with them on this, but man, there was a there was this big barn, and they go out and you know thirty celebrating his birthday, had dancing going on. It was crazy there, you know, and so uh, he, he was right he was right home to be able to celebrate that. So he had the best of both worlds, having hanging out with all of his friends and family. If anyone ten thousand uh, dollars, over ten thousand dollars. So good week for good weekend for Brandon Overton. Yeah, and happy birthday to Brandon Overton, and congrats on his his wins. Todd, thirty years old now. He's in the thirty age group now. <laughs> Welcome to the thirties. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> so uh, I got one uh, digging di- deep in the weekly stuff. I saw down at uh, Vado, New Mexico, their their first late model race of the year for the regular season guys, and um, I noticed the guy that won. It was his first uh, first late model race. However, it turns out he didn't win. Because after Victory Lane, he forgot to go to post-race technical inspection. Oof. So Levi DiMartino ends up losing. Uh, too bad for him. He, you know, he he used to race stock cars about ten years ago. Uh, this, according to to Chris Steppen, who's the general manager there, uh, and he came back uh, to racing and and his first late model race uh, was a would-be winner. Uh, however, don't worry, we still had the excitement. The guy who inherited it, Rob Mosley. Uh, he ended up uh, was a first time uh, late model winner. So, so an interesting turn of events there at Vado, New Mexico, uh, uh, for their weekly show. And and good luck uh, to Levi winning one and remembering go to to go to post race tech next time. I'm sure he won't m- make that mistake again if he uh, hopefully wins another one soon. Uh, Robert, what do you get? First of all, can anyone remember when the weekend started? Last week, <laughs> you have to go all the way back, really, to Tuesday. Tony Jackson Jr. picks up the win at I-80 in the MLRA race on April 13th. That started off really the longest stretch of racing consecutively that we've had since Speed Weeks. I mean, it felt like a mini Speed Weeks around here as, as many races as we had. But uh, definitely congrats to uh, Tony Jackson, who... Uh, has, has got things going in the right direction, and he picks up an MLRA win and, and kicked off the week, a week-long stretch of racing for us. So uh, so good job for him. It was definitely a busy week or weekend of racing, however you want to look at it. And we have another one ahead, which we, of course, will be back here next Wednesday morning with another episode of the Dirt Reporters podcast to cover it all again. Till then, thanks for listening, and have a great week. 